Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to the Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Thursday, November 30th. Today, a discussion on Colorado's renewable energy future with Will Tor, Executive Director of the Colorado Energy Office, and a focus on geothermal energy. Before we begin, we'd like to thank our sponsor. On December 5th, First Bank and Colorado Gives Foundation are proud to present Colorado Gives Day, a one-day online fundraiser for local nonprofits. Since 2010, people just like you have raised $415 million, and over $53 million was donated last year alone. To elevate giving, First Bank and other sponsors have contributed more than $1 million to amplify every donation made, which makes Colorado Gives Day easily the best day to give. So let's start a wave of generosity. Donate at coloradogivesday.org. First Bank. Banking for good. Member FDIC. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. Supermax, the U.S. government's most secure prison, began operating on this day in 1994 in Fremont County. Known as the Alcatraz of the Rockies, it confines the nation's most dangerous criminals. Congress authorized the facility in 1989 and selected Fremont County for its location. Local residents, eager for the economic benefit, donated 400 acres for its construction. Governor Roy Romer led the groundbreaking in July 1990, and over four years, workers built the imposing $60 million structure, fortified with concrete walls and multiple layers of security. Inmates at Supermax have included a who's who of notoriously evil figures, like El Chapo Guzman, Unabomber Ted Kaczynski, 9-11 conspirator Zacharias Musawi, and domestic terrorist Timothy McVeigh. Before we continue, right now you can support the Colorado Sun in a big way during our winter membership drive. When you become a member, now through December 17th, Colorado Media Project will provide a one-to-one match to double your impact for a total of $5,000 in matching funds. Join now at coloradosun.com join. Next, our future story. Thanks for joining the Colorado Sun podcast today. We usually on Thursdays talk with myself and John Ingold about issues of climate and health and where they intersect as part of our temperature weekly newsletter, which appears on Wednesdays, and we hope you subscribe to that. But we also like to bring you whenever possible directly to some of our sources who are interesting, have some deep knowledge about the issues that we cover. In this case, we decided to share with you a conversation we had with Will Tour, who is the executive director of the Colorado Energy Office deeply involved in everything involved in Colorado, electrification, renewable energy, clean energy, reducing greenhouse gases, reducing ozone levels in Colorado's front range air. And Will wanted to talk to us about a new state program in supporting geothermal energy, which the state believes can be part of our future in renewable and clean energy. So we're presenting that conversation today. It's about 10 minutes and you will hear some of my questions. You'll hear Will's responses. And the first question we asked him today is, what is so attractive about geothermal energy in Colorado, and why does the state need to be involved? If it's that attractive, why is the commercial sector not taking over and just doing it itself? Here are some of Will's responses. Will's responses. We think that it offers really, it's a really important technology for meeting our climate goals, saving people money on their energy bills, and uh, supporting the electric grid as we as we go through the energy transition, you know, on the on the electric grid side, 
we we've got great wind and solar resources that are you know moving moving towards very you know high levels of adoption of wind solar and batteries geothermal electricity production you know also offers you know zero carbon electricity generation that's available 24/7 so it's a really important complement to wind and solar and colorado's got a, a really attractive resource because we've got a lot of heat beneath our feet. We actually have have a good geothermal, geothermal resource for newer forms of electricity generation, what are known as advanced and enhanced uh, geothermal. So we think there's an important opportunity there. And then on the geothermal heating and cooling side, you know, what, what's exciting about it is that once you've got it installed, it has very, very low energy use and very low energy costs to consumers. And um, because of the, the fact that you are operating off of geothermal um, heat pumps that are always tied to that underground temperature of around 50 degrees, it works extremely well, even on the very coldest days of the year, and it uh, uses very little electricity, even on those coldest days of the year. So as we move to adoption of a lot of electric heat pumps across the state, by having <laughs> uh, many of those be uh, geothermal systems, it means that the amount of electricity that you need to be able to provide on those coldest days of the year is much less. So there's real you know, benefits to individuals in low energy costs, but benefits to the entire electric system by reducing demand for electricity on those really cold days. So we think that geothermal is a really important uh, technology for, again, helping us reach our uh, climate goals in a way that will work well for the electricity grid and will save consumers money on energy. Sounds great. So why does the state need to get involved with all those capitalists if the technology is so promising? So uh, a couple of things on the electricity side, we're, we're talking relatively new technologies. So geothermal electricity in the past has required very specific geological conditions that don't exist in very many places. So in the United States, the vast majority of geothermal electricity was deployed in California and Nevada in places where they had those sort of unique um, conditions. There are new technologies that are emerging that allow uh, geothermal to be uh, produced over a much wider range of areas. As long as you have hot rock that's not too far below the surface, but as with many new technologies, you know, the early, de early deployment uh, requires uh, government support. That's certainly what we saw with wind and solar, where you know, 20 years ago it really took strong policy support to get the wind and solar industries off the ground. I think we're in sort of a similar, similar spot with geothermal today. The other I issue with geothermal electricity production is that you you have to do kind of upfront drilling to characterize the, the nature of the geology in a sort of very fine-grained way. It, and so there's a certain amount of risk about, you know, investing in that drilling and not knowing for sure until you've done the drilling whether 
that that location is actually going to pan out. So by uh, providing grants to support planning and some of that initial drilling, it helps to sort of de-risk that initial investment phase and make it more likely that we'll get some of those early geothermal electric deployments in the state. When it comes to the the um, heating and cooling side, geothermal uh, has great long-term um, payback. It really reduces energy bills dramatically, but there is a significant upfront cost. And so it's really about, again, as we begin to de- deploy geothermal heating and cooling systems, helping to address that upfront cost. And as we sort of move forward and uh, get more of these in the ground to get people more experienced with them and hopefully move towards more economies of scale in that early, in that you know, initial upfront investment. So what prizes in the form of carrots are you offering is the state offering to our contestants in the geothermal arena? <laughs> so there, the geothermal grant program um, was a, uh, Proved by the legislature uh, that allocated $12 million for grants. We are opening up the first round of grants. We're going to make $5 million available in this first round. And there will be grants for uh, both individual building, you know, essentially ground source heat pump systems. Those can be up to $10,000 per, per building, uh, depending on the, the size of the system. Then there are uh, grants uh, available for uh, district district systems, you know, those larger thermal energy systems that serve multiple buildings. And there's both planning grants and implementation grants available that are uh, each capped at $500,000 for a project. And then uh, there are grants on the uh, electricity side that for, for most projects would also be capped at that $500,000. Great. Um, will this, will the program scale up in future years or is this, and how many years does the legislative funding last for? So we anticipate that the grant funding uh, will be available for, you know, probably approximately two years. Since there's $12 million available and we're anticipating we're making $5 million available in this round, $5 million in the next round. But this is being followed up by a, a newly created tax credit program. So in the last legislative session, the, the legislature uh, passed House Bill 23-1272, that big package of clean energy tax credits. And so it created tax credits for geothermal that will essentially allow, you know, the, the grant program is getting things up and going, but the uh, geothermal tax credits will make funding available through 2032. So for almost another decade. Okay. Is there potential in Colorado for larger scale, sort of small utility scale projects? We've written about a Southern Colorado idea that's been out there for a while around Mount Princeton, but it runs into questions of some on the utility scale and in rural Colorado, the geothermal comes out of the ground in a place that are some of our most beautiful places in the state. So 
if we are talking about utility scale at some point, is there a potential conflict for issues of sight lines and environmental damage or just environmental change in the landscape? So, so we certainly think that there is potential for utility scale of geothermal electric generation. And what, one of the things that's exciting about the new technologies is that it is certainly true that with conventional uh, geothermal, the, the older approach that I described that's, you know, mainly been deployed in California and Nevada, you basically need to be near hot springs, which as you said, are, are places that are you know, very precious and very valued by by communities, and any uh, the geothermal projects in those areas will need to be very carefully reviewed for for their impacts. But the new kinds of, of geothermal electricity production, what are known as enhanced or advanced geothermal, they don't need to be near hot springs. And in fact, uh, one of the best geothermal uh, resources in this in the state for these newer forms uh, is in the Wattenberg Formation in, you know, northeastern Colorado, where much of the oil and gas drilling takes place. There's hot rock under, you know, deeper underground. There's there's hot granite underneath that, that shale. And so there are actually opportunities to um, do new geothermal development there or even potentially to think about repurposing old oil and gas wells and, and drilling down deeper into into the granite underneath them. So we think there will be a lot of opportunities to look at geothermal development that aren't, you know, just in those you know, beautiful and beloved hot springs areas. Thanks for listening today to our conversation with Will Tour, who is the executive director of the Colorado Energy Office, about thermal energy's future in Colorado. You can see the results of conversations like this every day in Colorado Sun's reporting at coloradosun.com. We also hope that you'll tune in and read and listen to conversations about one of our big projects at the end of this year, which is the high cost of Colorado. High costs on any number of topics from housing to the high cost of going on a hike to the high cost of restaurants, high cost of labor, and everything in between. We'll be rolling out new stories and new graphics and new presentations in that series from now all the way through January, even part of February, as we're getting great reaction from all of you with your ideas on the high costs of Colorado that have become a challenge and are affecting your life and how we should be covering them. We'll be presenting those with more interaction with you on those subjects in future editions of coloradosun.com and stories on the high costs of Colorado that we'll be presenting through graphics, audio on our podcasts, any number of places. So go to our website. Please join us again next week. When John Ingold will be back for next week's edition, we'll have more conversations about climate and health and how they all interact for our temperature newsletter and the coloradosun.com podcast. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us today. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. President Biden used his two-day stop in Colorado to chide Republican Representative Lauren Boebert and praised the work at the world's largest wind turbine facility in Pueblo. Biden was at a fundraiser in Denver on Tuesday night, then went to Boebert's district to visit the CS Wind Facility and tout his clean energy investment via the Inflation Reduction Act. The president made it a point to note that Boebert did not support the funding. In a written statement, she continued to criticize the spending and attacked Biden for the cost of consumer goods. Winter in Colorado is off to a slow start, and that is already raising concerns for water users and wildfire watchers. 
The snowpack in the high country is at 60% of normal for this time of year, and officials are worried some areas might have a hard time recovering from this early dry spell. Also of concern is the already dry ground. Data shows drier soils popping up throughout western Colorado and the eastern plains. Southern areas of the state might get enough moisture from the El Nino weather patterns to recover, but drying conditions in northwestern Colorado could deepen. The Suncor refinery continues to have accidental toxic air releases into the air above its Commerce City neighborhood, and an environmental group focused on air pollution cites the most recent incidents as more reasons to pursue a new lawsuit against the EPA for greenlighting Suncor operations. The Center for Biological Diversity sued the EPA on November 17th in the 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, saying the agency should have rejected Colorado's operating permit renewal for the eastern portion of Suncor. After demanding changes from state health regulators, the EPA approved most of the permit. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. The Colorado Sun is nonpartisan and completely independent. We're always dedicated to telling the in-depth stories we need today more than ever. And the Sun is supported by readers and listeners like you. Right now, you can head to coloradosun.com and become a member, starting at $5 per month for a basic membership, and if you bump it up to $20 per month, you'll get access to our exclusive politics and outdoors newsletters. Thanks for starting your morning with us, and don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. Tomorrow.